Okay, we're back. We're back to a, to a normal night at Zeal Young Adults. Not that, you know, the past couple of weeks haven't been, you know, a good time, an amazing time. You know, we went, uh, what, two weeks ago, we went out evangelizing to Santa Monica Pier. That was pretty cool. There's a lot of stories that came out of that night. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty awesome. And then last week, you know, we had our little fun night, little fun game night. I mean, I guess, I guess the word fun may be subjective to some of you, some of you guys who weren't really good at, at the game. Maybe it wasn't that fun, <laughs> but I had fun. It was a lot of fun watching you guys make fools out of yourselves, especially the guys. The guys, uh, guys are really good at making fools out of themselves, and I appreciate that because, you know, it's in my blood. Um, but, you know, there's just nothing like, at least for me, there's nothing like coming into the sanctuary and having the Lord, you know, speak to us through, you know, this, this service, you know. Like, like Tomas says, he says, Fridays are the best day of the week. And I didn't say that. He did. So if you got a problem with that, if you disagree, go, go see Tomas and, and, and have that debate with him. But I thought I'd, I'd start off tonight, since it's been a while since we've been in here, I'd start off tonight by telling a cute story uh, about my daughter. Um, at least I think it's cute. I guess we'll see. I'm counting on, on you ladies here, you know, to, to, to be like, oh, that's so cute. Um, I'm going to expect the guys to do that. Uh, please, actually, please don't. You guys in here, please, please do not respond like that. Um, but but this, was, uh, this was just before mealtime, and uh, my daughter, she loves to crawl. She loves to crawl around on the floor. She hates, hates, hates being in your arms for any, t- any span of time longer than five seconds. She just, like, hates it, especially if she sees something on the ground that she wants to grab and then put in her mouth. And, and man, she knows what she's doing, too, when, she's, when she finds something on the ground. Like, she knows the things that she's not supposed to put into her mouth, and she will go and grab the thing that she's not supposed to put in her mouth, put it in her mouth, and then she'll look back at me to like, hey, are you seeing this? And then once I notice it, then she scurries off and runs away because she knows like, okay, here comes daddy. I'm about to take that thing out of your mouth. But then while she's running away, she'll swallow it, and then it's like, great, she ate another piece of wood. Um, so... <laughs> uh, but so my, my, my daughter's on the floor, and it's, uh, you know, she's eating whatever trash she can find. And I pick her up to bring her to her high chair because it's time to eat. And um, she's not happy. <laughs> she's not happy about it. She's squirming and, and whining and crying and shouting and swinging, you know, like she, she, knows, she knows how to, how to get her, her way. Um, but as, as I go to place her into her seat, you know, to put like her, her chubby little legs uh, down into the, into the high chair, she, she, she starts, she like hyperextends her legs. Like, you, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, she'll just like straighten them out so, so taut. And, you know, like I'm, I'm like trying to maneuver her legs into the chair, but she's just like, mm, this isn't going to happen. Like, I don't like what's happening right now. And, you know, I only have two hands. So, like, it's, it's, it's like a puzzle, trying to fit a puzzle into this thing. And at a certain point, I got to a point where I'm just like, what, what is happening right now? Like, I'm, I literally cannot accomplish this mission of putting her into her high chair. And so I'm just, I'm just standing there waiting for my wife to, like, look and see what's going on. And eventually, you know, Vreni looks and she sees what's happening and she's like, uh, yeah, welcome to my world, father of these children. Like, this is what I deal with all the time. And, um, but anyway, so eventually Vreni, she makes her way to the high chair with, with Elise's uh, food, and she puts it on the tray. And so Elise, you know, I'm holding her, and she's like, I'm not sitting down. But then the food comes, and then she's like looking down, and she's kind of staring at it for a few seconds as if to, as if to think like, hmm, 
I really want what's in that bowl, but I've been putting up a fight for so long and I'm winning. I don't know what to do at this point now. And so eventually she just kind of like, just kind of like, you know, let's releases and just kind of slides into the seat. <laughs> and it's just like, you little runt. Like, <sighs> and so then she begins to eat, but now I got to get her bib on. So like I'm trying to put her bib onto her around her neck, but now she's getting mad at me because I'm getting in the way of her like eating the food. She's, so she starts, <sighs> And I'm just like, you little girl, like, if you would have just gone with the flow the entire time, like, you would have been in your chair, your bib would have been on, the food would have gotten here, and you would be eating very happily right now. You would be getting upset with me right now. Um, but, you know, that's how kids are. And, and it's interesting, you know, like, kids, they, they really, they show you what your behavior looks like with God, you know, because so, so often, you know, like, we, we, are, we are resistant to what God is trying to do in our lives. Like God's trying to prepare us for like a blessing or for a provision or for just a lesson or a, a growth in our faith. Like he's trying to do something, trying to prepare us. And we're just like, no, I don't want to do this. And it's just like, oh, you little runts, you little runts. Anyway, um, that's the story. Uh, so we're going to be back in our study uh, in Matthew. And this is another, another one of those weeks where our study in Matthew is going to take us to Luke. So uh, if you guys have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And um, as you guys are turning there, for those of you that are taking notes this week, uh, the title of tonight's message is Johnny Bap in the House, Part 1. Uh, Johnny Bap in the House, Part 1. Uh, this ended up being a two-part message because there's just a lot of content. Um, so Johnny Bap in the House, Part 1. And we're going to be covering two points tonight. Uh, the first point is the origin story. The origin story. We're going to look at how Johnny Bapp came to be. And we're going to find out who Johnny Bapp even is. Like, who, Johnny Bapp, who, who the heck is that? And our second point is going to be goaded. Goaded as in G-O-A-T, as in the greatest of all time. Uh, we're going to see who's the goat. But let's get into our first point, the origin story. Um, so... As I said, the, the portion of scripture that we have reached in Matthew is, is Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be introduced to John the Baptist, or Johnny Bapp, if, if he was a rapper. I think that's a pretty dope name. But if you're new to the faith, or you're new to the, the Word of God, you're new to the Bible, you, you may hear a lot of names uh, get thrown out at, at these Bible studies, you know, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, King David, Moses, Solomon, uh, the Apostle Paul, Peter. John the Baptist, you know, and, and a lot of us who are more familiar with the word, you know, we take for granted that there are people out there who may not know who these people are. They may not be familiar with these names. And so for that reason, I wanted to take a look at John the Baptist so that we can know who this guy is. So as, as we shift our attention to Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at John the Baptist's origin story. Uh, so let's read Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 5 through 25. And it's, this is what it says. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And yet they had no child, because Elizabeth was infertile, or infertile. And they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while while he, Zechariah, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing uh, to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of, of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in her years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Verse 21. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at, this, at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he repeatedly made signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his priestly service were concluded, man, they didn't even get him time off. No sick days. Uh, he had to stay there. Uh, but when, when his days of his priestly service were concluded, he went back home. Now, after these days, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among people. And we'll pause there. So for those of you who... Maybe you weren't following all of that because it's a lot of, especially if you don't have your Bibles, it's kind of hard to listen to someone just read a bunch of stuff. Uh, Zechariah was a priest. He was married to Elizabeth. They were, they were old folks. They didn't have any kids uh, because Elizabeth was infertile. Uh, but they were godly people, according to Luke. Uh, so one day, Zechariah was in the holy place of the temple. He was burning incense, and an angel appears to him. And he tells him that he and his wife, they're going to have a kid. They're going to have a baby. This baby will be named John. And he's going to be great in God's sight. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even while in his mother's womb, he's going to be used by God to bring many people back to the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare people for the Lord's coming. Zechariah wonders how this is, this is all possible given the circumstances. And apparently there was, there was just this real sense of doubt in Zechariah's uh, wondering. So the angel Gabriel Causes, he causes Zechariah to go mute uh, as a temporary punishment for his disbelief. Then what Gabriel said would happen, happened. Elizabeth got pregnant. And six months after Elizabeth gets pregnant, Gabriel went to visit another, uh, a young girl named Mary to let her know that she was also going to get pregnant. The difference with her being that the baby was, that was going to be conceived in Mary uh, was going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, she was going to be carrying the Son of God. And so Mary gets pregnant, and then after she gets pregnant, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, the person who was married to Zechariah, who got pregnant in her old age. So let's read that portion of Scripture as we go down to verse 39 in Luke chapter 1. So Luke 1, verse 39 now at this time, Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So this baby, right from the get, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary comes in, and once the baby perceives the sound of her voice, he gets excited. He leaps. And we're not told exactly why, like why exactly he, he leaped for joy. Uh, but I'd be willing to bet that it was kind of like a game-recognized game situation. Like, hey, man, like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I hear you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be used by God. And this is awesome. Like, this is, this is exciting. Of course, you can't build any doctrine off of that, but, you know, we can speculate. So three months later, three months after getting there, Mary was there three months. She finally, she, Mary leaves. And gosh, imagine, imagine having a relative stay with you for three months. I mean, I don't know if, like, this was a planned visit, but just imagine, I mean, some of you are all like, dude, are you kidding me? I've been living with my cousins all my life. Like, I know what it's like. Three months, that sounds like vacation. Um, but, you know, it probably, it probably started off, you know, nice. Like, oh, this is going to be so great. You know, we could stay up late, read our diaries to each other. Uh, but eventually it probably turned into, like, when are you leaving? I'm tired of seeing your hair everywhere. You are eating up all our food. You're not the only pregnant woman here. And I can't yell at my husband while you're around, but my husband is acting like an idiot because he can't speak, and I need to yell at him, but you're here. I can't ever yell at him when you're here. That's just what I imagine. You know, it's not, it's not, from, not from life experience or anything. Um, but anyway, uh, Mary leaves, and now it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. So let's continue looking at John's origin story and pick back up in Luke chapter 1, Let's pick up in verse 57. It says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. And yet his mother responded and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, remember he couldn't speak, uh, as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And he probably wrote it like in all caps, like, I want to speak again. Like, his name is John. Don't you dare name him Zechariah. The angel said, we've got to name him John. Um, but yes, and they were all amazed. And so verse 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue freed. And he began speaking in praise of God. And fear came on all those who lived around them, and all of these matters were being talked about in the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept, kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. And we'll stop there. So the baby is born, and his parents name him what the angel of the Lord told him, told them that they were going to name him. They named him John. And, so, and then Zechariah, after finally being able to speak, he begins praising the Lord, but then he says this of his own son, and we're going to drop down to verse 76, Luke 1, verse 76. It says, And you, child, also will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, 
to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now the child grew and was becoming strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So after Zechariah said these words about his son, we don't get any more info on, on John the Baptist until we see him preaching in the wilderness. Uh, but these were the circumstances surrounding his birth. This was his origin story. It, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. His parents were old. They were older. And, and Elizabeth, she was unable to conceive for many, many years. But then God comes in and he says, you're going to get pregnant. And your child will be used for my glory, for my purposes. And that's, that's something that I think we all need to be aware of tonight. God's intervention, God's miraculous working in our lives it may not look the way that we are wanting it to look. And I say that because Zechariah, he came from a line of priests who served in the temple. Elizabeth, she came from the lineage of Aaron, who was the first priest of God in the book of Exodus. There was a rich and long history of the priesthood in this marriage, in this family. And so it stands to reason that Zechariah, when he and Elizabeth first got married, he had an expectation that his sons that they would eventually have uh, would become priests the same way that he was. But of course, they had no sons. They, they ended up having no children at all. And so here comes Gabriel telling them that they're going to have a son. And maybe Zechariah in that instant was like, oh, sweet, an, an heir to, to, for me. You know, he's going to be a priest just like me. But that's not what God had planned for him. He was, going to be, he, was, he was going to use this child for something far greater. He was going to use John the Baptist for something far greater. And so you may have an expectation for something that, you know, how your life is going to go or how something in your life is going to work out. An expectation that may, may even, in, in your own analysis, is God honoring and God glorifying. Like, why wouldn't it happen this way? Like, it, it would bring God glory if it happens this way. But that's not God's expectation. It may not be. You know, you may think and believe that God is going to make you rich so that, you know, with your wealth, you know, you're going to be used by him in order to bless others. But maybe he would rather use you in your lack of resources in order to prove and to show himself overwhelmingly providential. I don't need your money, child. I can do it without it. So let us be open to God's discretion as, as, as we follow him. Let us be obedient to his will and open to whatever his will is as we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let us trust his discernment for our lives and just go with what we know for sure. God's will in our lives, it could be foggy, but let's go with what we know for sure to be true. Let's seek him. Let's follow him. Let's commune with him. And let's do all of these things alongside his people, our brothers and sisters who are co-heirs in the inheritance with us. So that's John the Baptist's origin story. This is how he came to be. And, you know, no doubt John would grow up hearing about, you know, this story of how his birth came to be. And, you know, we're going to be discussing John the Baptist next week as well. Uh, we're going to discuss him further. Uh, but there's just one other thing that I, that I wanted to discuss before we get back into our, our time of musical worship for the night. And so this is going to bring us to our, our second point of the night and our last point of the night, which is goaded, goaded. 
And so I just, I just felt led to discuss something tonight um, that I kind of had decided I was never really going to go into. Like, I, for some reason, I don't know, just for some reason I decided I'm not going to talk about this thing. I never intended on going to this place at any point during our time in Matthew. Uh, I, could, I could have even gone to this place a few weeks ago when we, were ta- when we were looking at the conception and the birth of Jesus, but I didn't. But then this week, for some reason, probably the Lord, uh, having gone over Luke chapter 1 and the verses that are there, I just felt it necessary to, to address uh, a false belief that is out there among what some would consider to be Christendom. Uh, Luke, in Luke 144, if you want to look there, Luke 144, it's one of those verses, it's used, uh, it's used as one of the ways of promoting this, this, this false belief that I'm talking about when it says that John leaped in Elizabeth's womb when he heard Mary's voice. You know, there's this idea that Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, is, is somehow on the same level or, or even very close to God, very close to the level of Jesus. There, there are some ideas that because Mary carried the sinless Savior, that she too was also conceived in a state of sinlessness. In, in order for Mary to be an appropriate carrier of Jesus, she also had to be sinless as well. So God, in this belief, sort of you know, preemptively applied the finished work of Jesus Christ to Mary before she was born or even conceived in preparation for her calling of carrying the Savior, thus making her sinless. There's this other idea that, that she remained a virgin perpetually and that her labor process wasn't even a normal labor process, that she miraculously gave birth to Jesus without opening up her womb, further protecting her virginity, apparently. She is referred to as, as the mother of God. She carried Jesus. And she was his earthly mother on this earth. And the rationale is that because Jesus was God, then that would therefore make her the mother of God, and this would elevate her to a status that is like above any normal human being. She's venerated or honored with ritual acts of of devotion. You know, prayers are offered up to her. She's seen as, as a co-redeemer who offered up her own son for the sins of the world. She is seen as the queen of heaven who also acts as a mediator between people and God. She is seen as, as the divine mother from whom grace flows and that that's how God ordained it. And, you know, there are obviously different shades and manifestations of, of these concepts depending on who you talk to and what exactly they believe And there are people out there who devote large portions of their lives to the study of and dismantling of of these ideas. And that discipline, for those of you who aren't aware, it's called apologetics. For those of you who don't know, apologetics basically is you're defending the faith against false beliefs. So if you've ever been wondering, like, oh, how do I defend my faith against, like, atheism? There are organizations out there that devote their entire organization is all about defending the Christian faith in respect to, like, atheism. You know, or how do I defend my faith against the, the, the Muslim religion? Well, there are organizations out there that their entire organization is devoted to how do you defend your faith against the Muslim, the Muslim belief system? And while, you know, that approach, it's extremely effective and it's beneficial, and I recommend you all look into these things, look into apologetics, especially if there's something that, you know, you want to know more about. But for me, especially in this context, in, in this, on this topic, it's, it's much simpler for me. It begins with the agreement that the word of God is sufficient. 
So if somebody I know believes these things, the question I'm going to ask is, is the word of God sufficient? Is it sufficient? Is the Bible sufficient? Is, is the Bible enough for us to have beliefs and doctrines, to build beliefs and doctrines? Is 2 Peter 1.20 and 21 true when it says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Are the scriptures, though written by men, are these words written by men actually the words of God as they were moved and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down? Do we, can we agree on this? Side note, it's interesting to me that Peter, in this letter, 2 Peter, he equates the letters of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote, he equates them with scriptures. He equates them with the word of God. He says, he says that the untaught and unstable, they twist Paul's letters to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. So he was putting Paul's letters all 13 letters that Paul wrote, he was putting them on par with the entire word of God, the word of God that was written by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write them down. So is the Bible the inspired word of God? And is it sufficient? Is 2 Timothy 3.16 true when it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work? Is the Bible inspired by God? Is the Bible profitable for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness? Is the word of God sufficient to make you complete? If so, if we can agree on that, then I would ask people who believe these things to show me in the word of God and only in the word of God where they come up with these things about Mary. Show me the scriptures that state Mary was immaculately conceived, that she was sinlessly conceived in order to be the appropriate vessel to carry the Savior. Show me the scriptures that talk about her perpetual virginity, even though Jesus had brothers and sisters, according to the scriptures. Even though in Matthew 1.25, it says that Joseph, Joseph kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Show me scriptures that give her the title of mother of God in a way that exalts her to the level of co-redeemer and co-mediator, the queen of heaven, and worthy of the devotion that we are actually to give to God and God alone. And don't just take one or two scriptures out of context and strip them away from the totality of the entire scriptures. Of the 21 times that Mary is mentioned or talked about in the Bible, tell me how you arrive at all of these conclusions. Tell me how you developed all of these beliefs about her that have brought so many people to this place of devotion and veneration for this woman. You simply cannot. You simply cannot. You have to rely on outside sources, outside opinions, outside assumptions to arrive where many of these people have arrived. That's why I start off with making sure that is the Bible the only necessary thing that we need? Is it the only thing that we need? Is that our only necessary source for doctrine? Because if we can agree on that, then prove your beliefs through the Bible. And I'm saying that to you guys as well. Prove your beliefs through the Bible. Everything that you believe about Jesus, everything that you believe about being a Christian, prove those beliefs through the Bible. But if we can't agree that the Bible is sufficient, then the conversation is pointless. If you don't believe that the Bible is all sufficient, the inerrant word of God, then what are we talking about? Maybe 
Maybe those who don't believe that the Bible is all that we need, maybe they're not truly born again. Maybe they need to be transformed and regenerated so that they can actually hear the Lord speaking to them. And with all that being said, it's interesting to me that as, as, we, look at, as we look at old Johnny Bap, John the Baptist, that Jesus said of him, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus' words. No one. That includes Moses. That includes Abraham. That includes Mary. No one is greater than John the Baptist. So why not venerate and honor the one that Jesus himself said is the greatest person to have ever been born? Well, I would venture to say that it's probably because of what Jesus said next. He said, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, that person is still greater than John the Baptist. There may be believers throughout history and even today or even in the future who have done, who are doing, or who are going to do great things and who, who are going to do great things for the kingdom of heaven. And those works in our minds may cause us to think that these people are like somehow on a higher level than, than, than everyone else. It may cause us to think that, but never forget what Jesus said to his disciples. Those who desire to be the greatest in the kingdom need to humble themselves like a child. He said that the greatest of you shall be your servant. He said that if you want to be first, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be last of all, and you need to be servant of all. God does not see things as we see them. We see people with huge platforms, with tremendous reach, with fame and recognition, and we think that these are the ones who are the great ones in the kingdom of heaven. But the ones who are great in the kingdom are the ones who get no recognition. They have no platform. They have no fame. They are simply making themselves a slave to all in humility. And this was John the Baptist's desire. Even though Jesus said of him that he was the greatest person to have ever been born, when Jesus came on the scene in John chapter 3, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they turned to him and they, they seemed to be concerned that Jesus was taking away, you know, some of John the Baptist's followers. They're like, man, pe people are starting to follow Jesus instead of following you. Like, like is this okay? Basically is, is what they were communicating. But what did John say? He said that his joy was made full by the fact that people were turning away from him to go and follow Jesus. He said, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. The humility of that statement and that way of, of thinking. And so we'll conclude the night with that idea, with the understanding of what it truly means to be great. In Luke 1.15, the angel Gabriel, he told Zechariah that John would be great in the sight of the Lord. In the world, there are many things that we can think of that would classify someone as great, right? You know, it could be something as noble and admirable as, in my opinion, the founding fathers who stood up to tyranny and, you know, made a stand and declaring their independence and taking whatever came, taking the cost of the revolution, of the American Revolution. To me, that makes them great. Like, that's amazing. But we could also classify someone as great for something as stupid and vain as having a high follower count or being perceived as someone special when they literally have like zero to offer society. 
Um, I don't know if you guys are aware, you probably are, but um, I don't know what it is really, but the Met Gala, and I guess like people, celebrities, they go and they, like, they just dress something, I don't know, like, but like people go to see these people go to a party and, and see what they're wearing and like, oh, look at these, these great people. It's like, they're not doing anything. Like they're, they're showing up to a party and looking ridiculous. And, and this makes them great? Not for me. But John the Baptist, he was considered great by Jesus. And, I mean, Jesus, he was, he was kind of all right. You know, he was an all right guy. He was pretty great. No, but, but, but Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest. John the Baptist wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't a great king. He wasn't a, a famous celebrity. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a, a great military leader. He wasn't a politician. That definitely wouldn't make you great. None of that. John the Baptist was born into a simple family. And we'll see next week that the guy was apparently a weirdo. Like he's, even for, even for that time, he was a weirdo. He went out to live in the wilderness, existing like a hermit, forsaking the family business of the priesthood and forsaking any social or economic status. But he was called the greatest person to have been born. God once again proves to us that his economy it's very much different than that of the world's economy. The greatest man to be born was one that followed so hard after the Lord, and he was extremely obedient to his calling from God. It didn't mean financial success. It didn't mean popularity or recognition, at least not the good kind. But it did mean a fulfilled life spent tiring himself out for the sake of the kingdom of God. Everyone wants to make a difference. Everyone wants to make their mark on the world, Christians and heathens, everybody. But for the Christian, it begins with the simple devotion and obedience to the Lord. That's what it begins with. Be humble. Stop thinking, look at me, selfie, look at what I'm doing. Stop thinking, look at me, and start expressing, look at him. Look at him. Be a servant. Have that servant's heart, just like Jesus did. He was in heaven, existing in self-sufficiency, but he emptied himself to serve us and take upon himself our sins so that we could truly live and be free through faith in him. So let's follow our Lord and do the same. And it's starting to make sense to me why the Lord was communicating that to me this week of, of just this understanding that, like, dude, you're nothing even without you, I can, do, I can do this work. It's not about you. I didn't get it. I'm, like, I, as, as I was going through this right now, like, I, was, I was having that realization, like, oh, Lord, that's why. Because I was preaching this message. I didn't realize it. I'm, you guys are witnessing something right now. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm in my thoughts right now. But that's crazy. That's crazy. If you want to be great, if you want to be the greatest, or even if you don't want to be the greatest, but you just want to serve the Lord, then do it. Do it in humility. Do it in humility and serve him. But let's pray.